Tēnā koutou no mai, haere mai. Welcome to Q&A, I'm Jack Tang. Today, a major shake-up in the race for the Māori seats. It's my calling. It's who I am as a Māori, proudly so. Then, an exclusive interview with Taiwan's foreign minister as he urges New Zealand to step up in the Pacific. When China expands its ties in the Pacific, it's also bringing the authoritarian beliefs and uh, policies to those countries. And Aisha Verrill wants to help get more money to students studying to enter our health workforce. I'm looking for opportunities to, to raise that investment, yes. I think looking after students is a um, way that we can have a better impact on growing our, our domestic workforce. We will have that interview for you shortly. But we begin this morning with the events from overnight and the coronation of King Charles. If you didn't push through to the small hours, here is a very quick look at how it unfolded. Will you solemnly promise and swear to govern the peoples of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, your other realms and the territories to any of them belonging or pertaining, according to their respective laws and customs? I solemnly promise so to do. News Europe correspondent May Heron was watching the coronation as it unfolded. She has stayed up late for us in London tonight. Thanks for being with us, May. What was your sense of how it all went down? Good morning, Jack. Well, talking to people here during the coronation, people who'd camped out at the Mall, people who had lined up to see the procession, everyone kept saying that they were here to be part of history. Now, the funny thing with that statement is I think it sometimes takes a bit of time for that notion to kind of set in, and it's not until you talk to your kids, your grandkids in decades' time that you realise the magnitude of what happened here today in London, that it's been 70 years since the last coronation. But it was still a lavish pomp 
Columbus affair. The rain didn't seem to affect it too much. People still came out in force to see the King and now Queen Camilla as well. And the big talking point was the balcony. Everyone came to Buckingham Palace to see the future of the royal family standing up there. There was no Prince Harry, notably, no Prince Andrew either. Very much a slimmed down affair. This is how I think King Charles wants the royal family to be seen from now on. Yes, May, it's obviously a short shelf life for all of the Union Jack-themed bunting that has been out, judging by the scenes behind you this morning. Uh, here's the uh, King appearing on the balcony alongside Camilla a short while ago. How did the people of London receive the coronation? Well, you're right, lots of bunting, uh, lots of Union Jack flags. It all has to be tidied up. I just walked down the mall just a moment ago, and yes, it is literally everywhere, the kind of bunting, the coronation-themed memorabilia. But the party still carries on. It carries on into tomorrow. There'll be street parties everywhere. Neighbourhoods will be shut down to cars to really celebrate now the king. And I think, though, while there are lots of people who are really thrilled, who are really excited to be here today, there were also lots of protesters. We were at Trafalgar. Square and the chance of not my king really at times drowned out the chance of people yelling uh, God save the king so it really just shows that the hype and excitement isn't actually for everyone. That's interesting. May you have been covering uh, the visit by New Zealand Prime Minister Chris Hipkins this week what's your assessment of how the week has been for the PM? <laughs> Yeah, it's really been a big week for the Prime Minister, particularly on the global stage, meeting leaders that he hadn't met in person before, such as the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He also met Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as well today. So people who New Zealand or countries that New Zealand have had strong relationships with, particularly strong relationships when Jacinda Ardern was Prime Minister and relationships that Chris Hipkins would like to continue. But he didn't spend the week talking about the coronation. He spent most of it actually talking about Mika Whaiteri. He also spent a lot of it talking about that gaffe in the New Zealand High Commission where they broke Māori protocol, they didn't follow tikanga. So in some ways, it wasn't a great time for him over here. Ended up talking about topics that he didn't want to be talking about. Mm, that's interesting. Hey, thanks so much for your time, May. We really appreciate it. That is One News Europe correspondent, May Heron, live for us in London. After the break on Q&A, Mika Whaiteri created a stir by defecting to Te Pāti Māori with little to no explanation. But might other Labour MPs be considering the same thing? Willie Jackson is with us live. The decision to cross the floor is not an easy one, but it's the right one. That was MP Mika Whaiteri announcing she'd decided to leave Labour and join Te Pāti Māori. The surprise move caught many of her former colleagues off guard and adds a new dimension to the contest for the Māori seats in October's election. Labour Party Māori Caucus co-chair Willie Jackson is with us now. Kia ora, good morning. Morena, morena, Jack. Thank you for getting up early. I know what a fan you are of the Royals. You would have been up to the small hours last night, no doubt. I watched a bit of it. I mean, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? You know, all that history and... Uh, mm. Yeah, you didn't arrange the rubbish truck to no, just drive no, through the back of our so shot as some sort of metaphor or you something. Know, our prime minister's there. there doing the right thing, and our you know our king, and it's you know, well done to them. Have you heard from Mika Whaiteri yet? No, I, have, I haven't yet. So, but I'm sure I'll, I'll catch up with her over the next few days. Looking I'm, forward to it. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm beginning to get the sense that might be deliberate. I, you know, I think she's hurting. 
you know, I think she's hurting, and you know, I'm not. A, I don't want to dump on Mika this morning. I think there's a few people doing that because. You know, Mecca, it's more than just Mecca for mm. us. This is about whānau too. You know, her whānau's played a huge uh, role in labour, particularly in terms of Māori. Her mum, May, her mum went to school with my mum. Mm. You know, her, her sister Jo's been a great organiser. Robert, it's, it's been a whānau that has been so supportive of labour over the last 20 years. So I want to mihi to that whānau. And I know that, uh, I know Mecca's hurting. And uh, we were all sad. I mean, we were a bit traumatised, some of us. You know, yeah. we, you go through a range of emotions. We're disappointed, sad. and, and, uh, and But there's a lot of aroha for, for Mika. Yeah. And I know people find that a bit hard to believe. But, but you know, uh, Labour's more than just the La- Māori caucus. It's about our kaunihira Māori too. You know, yeah. our, our wider group. It's about our mana wahine, Jack. Yeah. Hey, who's dumping on her? I'm just saying there's some of the responses out there. Uh, you know, if you see that. What responses? I just see the criticism of her in terms of... Where's uh, that from? I'm just different media sources, and, and, and I think you know when you look at how people are, are perceiving it, mm. uh, we're looking at it a bit differently. Because yeah, I, I no, is, there, is there any specific one, anyone dumping on it that you can think of? Oh well, I, you know, you, people have made criticisms. You've mm. seen them, the Sandra Lees, the uh, yeah. I think I think yourself. Uh, I think I read your one. I mean, I think there's you know, and, and look, people have got to do what they got to do. Mm. But we have to ex- let me let me finish here, Jack, please. Uh, we have to examine ourselves because look, we know why she, she left. You know, I, I think that the even though it hasn't been clear, made clear, I think it's clear that she was hurting. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, did we do enough? And I'm, I'm prepared to take some responsibility as a co-chair. Yeah. Willow Jean Prime and I are the co-chairs of the caucus, and we should, sh- we should have looked after her a bit because this was a, uh, you know, a, the other side of it is I've heard. John... Hang, hang on, let's just stick on that yeah. for a moment. We'll get to JT in a second. Yeah. So, so she left because she was hurting. Well, I don't know for sure. But this is but, what but, you reckon, but, right? You know, well, you know, you... why was she hurting? I think that uh, I think it's obvious that she probably wanted to to be promoted into cabinet, and she's very a very capable minister. Did I do enough as a co-chair mm. to look after her? I, I don't think I did. I think that I could have, because the first time she was passed over, I supported her, yeah. and there was a lot of acknowledgement uh, in terms of her work. And I think we, as a Maori caucus, probably should have looked after her a bit better. So it's easy to say, oh, you know, it's opportunistic, she's leaving and all that. But actually, she's a mana wahine. She's someone who's yeah. made a major contribution to the Maori caucus but, and but Labour, you, and we should have looked after her better. Okay, so you should have looked after her better. You've acknowledged that, but you're saying she left because she was overlooked for promotion. I, I don't know for sure. That's, that's, that's what I you think. Though. I, I, I don't know, know for sure, but I th- well, I think it's also. But you think that's the likely thing? I think that's probably right up there. But I also, mm. as I said, packing I. Packing a sad, right? That's, 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 that's packing a sad. Well, well, she threw a lot into Labour. She threw a lot into us. Her and I worked very closely together. But, but if, that's, if that's the theory, and you think that's the Occam's Razor theory, let's, let's call it what it is. No, there's a couple of. No, you, you might call it as it is, but I, I think that's part of it. The other part is I heard John and the Māori Party talking about a. A way to awakening for her and spiritual side, and 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 I know some people might not want to accept that, but we accept that. You know, I, mm. I in in my party, I, it's not just me. I've got senior women like mm. Nanaia Mahuta, Kiri Tapu Allen, Willow Jean Prime, and in the regions we have mm. Kay Taylor in the north. Mm. You know, we have Chris, Wall, you know, Chris, Chrissy Palmer in the, the west. Party. That, that, so that's two. That's two. Wahini Māori who yeah, left that's right. Labour. That, that's why mm. I want, we've been careful with this. It's about tikanga. It's not just about, mm. oh, she's uh, packed a sad and she's walked. No, we have to examine ourselves. Did we look after her properly? Yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, yes, obviously she was disappointed. So it's about managing that going forward. 
You said that um, you stood by her the last time she was overlooked and you felt like you'd really stood by because in 2018 there were the bullying allegations, right? And then she got overlooked for a promotion back into Cabinet and you said you stood by her during that period. So, so what does it mean to you on a personal level, given you have that experience with her, you feel like you stood by her during that really challenging time, but she didn't even call you to tell you she was leaving? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I was disappointed. You know, I think I was clear to press the, the press about that. You go through a range of emotions, Jack. You know, I was disappointed and mm. you get a bit of anger and then you've got to get over it because it's not just about me. It's about... A, we, this is mm. a big kaupapa. Māori caucus is not about me and Willow. It's about our senior Māori mm. ministers and it's about all those women in the regions. You know, mm. as I said, the Kay Taylors up north, uh, Chrissy Parnabas in Auckland. We've oh. got a wonderful uh, woman down... We've got, I've got Gaylene Nepier in, in Wanganui. Yeah. She, she runs the campaign with me. So I've got to get over my own personal hurt. Right. Let's talk about strategy for a minute. Okay. You accept, right, that it's very likely on the current polls that if Labour wants to govern, it's going to need the support of Te Pāti Māori. Well, you know, we're on, not... On the current polls? We're not there yet. But I know, I know, but we're not there. We're not but there on yet. the current polls, can you point to any recent poll in which Labour can govern without the support no, of Te no, Pāti Māori? No, right, so you accept then that... I accept, the what, I accept what the polls are saying. Okay. Do you accept that the current polls show that Labour, Greens, Te Pāti Māori, on the current numbers, only have a very slim majority over a National Act government. Yeah, well, that's what it's saying, isn't it? Yeah. I, think, I think we're in by one or two, aren't we? And yeah. On, if, you ta- if you look at the poll of polls... Yes, well, I I'm think glad I, you're I, looking look at, at those numbers. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, so on current polling, what happens to the number of Labour's total MPs if the party vote stays the same as it is right now, yeah. but instead of winning one Māori seat... Mm. Te Pāti Māori win Waiariki. Mm. Um, they, you have Mecca win her seat as well, and they win Te Tai Hauru. So mm. Te Pāti Māori wins three seats. What happens to the total number of Labour MPs in Parliament? Oh, I think there's going to be, if it goes down that track, yeah. there'll be a reduction. There's not. There's not a reduction at all. You've had so, a look at it? Yeah, I did the maths last night. So, you, so you've been working on this? No, I have. I, mm. I stayed up Tell last night numbers. and did the maths. Okay, so so so. If Te Pāti Māori win three seats instead yep. of one, instead yep. of Waiariki, the total number of... La- but the party vote stays the same, as it? Oh, right. oh, sorry, you're saying the party yeah. vote stays party the same. Party vote stays the same. Yeah, well, I wasn't uh, thinking the party vote would okay. stay the same, so, but it would be nice to hit 50% again. So, no, no, Is that no, what no. you're saying? No, no, oh, the it stays the same as the current polls. Okay. So if, okay. if the current okay. polls, party vote stays the same. Around about 35%, isn't yep. it? Yep, 36%. Um, uh, 36 according to Talbot Mills, which is Labour's yep. um, polling. So, so, so 36 for Labour... The number of MPs stays the same yeah. if Te Pāti Māori wins three seats instead of one. Mm. Okay, I did the maths again with Talbot Mills and the latest One News Kantar poll. So if Te Pāti Māori were to win all of the Māori seats, mm. all seven of the seats, and Labour were to lose more than ten other electorate seats, do you know what happens to the total number of Labour Tell MPs me, Jack, in you've Parliament? Done, you've done all the maths. Nothing. You have no. the same number. No. Here's the difference. That left block, Labour... The Greens, Te Pāti Māori, has a much bigger majority. So doesn't it make sense for anyone who wants you to be back in government mm. and can vote in those Māori electorates yeah. to support Te Pāti Māori? You're gonna have, we're going to have to bring you on as a strategist, or the Māori Party's going to have to bring you, know, you on as a strategist. You know this, though. You know this. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the do- only one who's... No, but, but I haven't been doing all the numbers I be, the Maybe you days. haven't. Someone because has Because it's more important for us is tikanga. 
and how we uh, operate as a caucus and how we manage things. So it's not just about numbers and coalition, you know. I know, and good on you. you you're, in, you're in charge of the strategy, right? Oh, yeah, yes. But okay, there's so a time let's talk about that. No, 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 no. There's no. a time Do, for strategy. Let me ask this. Let's just be really clear. Do you accept that so long as the party vote remains steady, where it is right now, the more of the Māori seats that Te Pāti Māori wins, the bigger the left majority will be in Parliament? I'm not sure. I haven't had a look at it. I'm only going on well, your work. Yeah, so what's wrong, what's wrong with what I've just laid out? Yeah, this is well, MMP, well, right? well, the reality is we want to win the Māori seats. We're, look, whilst we're going down this whanaungatanga aroha side, our, my aim as the campaign yeah. manager will be to win the Māori seats. So I haven't, I haven't looked at the numbers like you have and but, gone over the stats, but, but it's if, important for us to win the seven Māori seats. But if, why? Because, because if, if you're not going to win well, Māori, well, let, let's well, accept let, let me tell you why. Because people like Parekura Horamia mm. loved Labour because uh, um, there's a long history there and, and because he swore uh, that, that that seat would, should always stay mm. Labour. Nothing personal against the whānau down there. i tell you why, because people sweat you know, blood yeah. and tears for Labour. Yeah. And as I talked about, some of those mana wahine. So it's yeah. not about... We can't just pass over our seats to the Māori Party. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. We, we've got history, but we've got tikanga, I, we've got whakapapa. I understand all of that. Well, no, I don't think you do. You're just looking at numbers, Jack. You know, it's, you know, we can't just swap over and say, well, there you go, there's seven seats. We've got... Mm. We've got well, look at Nanaia Mahuta and in, in, mm. in Tainui. She had kingitanga, the whole kingitanga coming at her. She fought them off. This, we've got history that we have to keep celebrating and we'll go into a robust um, campaign against the Māori party. Yeah. What I'm saying is I'm not I get suggesting... The I get the numbers. Uh, uh, you do. You I do get, get the numbers. I get the okay. numbers. I'm, and, tra- and, I'm trusting you. And, so, and Māori voters are tactical, right? Oh, absolutely they yeah. are. So, so if you look at the numbers, yeah. the best thing they can do, if they want that left block, Labour, Greens, Te Pāti yeah. Māori, yeah. to be in government, yeah. the best thing they can do with a strong majority yes, for that left yes, block, yes. the strongest majority possible... Yeah is to vote for Te Pāti Māori in those electorate seats yes. and give their party vote to Labour. Yeah, no, but, All the Greens. It, but, but it, it, that won't work for most of our voters because they have seen the way that uh, Māori MPs and Labour have fought for kaupapa and we've fought very strongly over the last five mm. years. And you see those well, kaupapa... Te Pāti Māori MPs oh, not well, do that? Well, here's the difference. I, I, of course a Māori Party... They would uh, do uh, What do you call it? Te Pāti Māori yeah. MPs will fight, of course, but... Within the system that we work yeah. in, they probably would be a bit um, uh, uncomfortable because they don't actually agree with different uh, um, initiatives like co-governance. So, mm. you know, they want to own everything, right? They don't actually gr- agree with... They don't want to own everything. They, they want to own water. They, they, they want to own everything. They want to own parliament. They don't, uh, they don't believe... They, they don't uh, believe in a... Sh- they, they believe in a Māori parliament. And that's all... Go- I'm not saying that's bad or anything. That's, that's all good. But I'm saying within the confines that we work in, it would probably be too uncomfortable that's, for Māori Party. It sounds MPs. like a warning shot for, for people who are concerned about the party Māori. No, no, not at all. They want to own everything, no, you just no, said. Well, I think that's pretty... I've heard them say that, and good on them. I think, uh, you know, when they when you hear the um, wow. Māori Party um, uh, MPs talk, they talk yeah. about ownership of water and, 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 and this country, and I understand that. And in many ways, uh, you know, mm. I was a mana motuhake leader, Jack. Mm. I led the first Māori Party in government in, in, with mm. Sandra Lee. And so so, so, so we, who, we know about these types of arguments. But arguably people who, who, who believe in mana motuhake, who believe in self-determination... Yes. Who believe in a stronger Māori voice yes. in Parliament, the best thing they can do to ensure that voice is to vote for Te Pāti Māori in those electorates and give their party vote 
until Labour will No, the green. best thing they can do in those electorates is vote for Labour candidates because Labour candidates know how to work within the system. Mm. And we've been doing that for years and years and years. Because you get into the debate yeah. about do you have incremental change or do you so, get everything? And we work in an environment where you have to actually get incremental so, change. So this is the, the point I'm getting at is that, that you have talked a lot about aroha and supporting NECA in the last couple right. of days. You didn't invoke the Electoral Integrity Act, which mm. some other media very irresponsibly called the Waka Jumping Bill, and I know you hate. <laughs> um, that's why, right? You, just, you, you actually need to party Māori here. Um, no, as I said, first and foremost, we deal with our tikanga, mm. and that's looking after her and looking at, looking at us. Obviously... Obviously, you know, they may be a, a candidate later on in terms of a coalition partner. Not right now. We'll, mm. we'll, we'll get to that. But, you know, when you talk about aroha, aroha goes both ways. Will any other Labour MPs go to Te Pāti Māori before the election? Well, I hope not, but I had a, I had a hui, myself and Willow Jean had a hui with our crew on uh, Friday. And, Were you concerned uh, about that? Oh, you just have to have a have a have a cordial because there's a lot. There was a talk. There was yeah. talk out there. You were concerned. Yeah, well, journalists had already said to me, "I oh, was, who's the next um, yeah. Māori MP to go?" And my view is, uh, well, I'll just have a hui and see if and, everything's okay. And what did okay. they say? No, no one's going anywhere. You know, Are you sure going, of that? Yeah, well, that's what they said as of Friday yeah. when, when when I spoke, and we had uh, just about all our Māori caucus there, and well, I ch I chaired the meeting. Well, what did Penny Hinare say about standing in Tamaki? He's standing in Tamaki. There's no problem with that. Definitely he's standing in Tamaki. And he's going to. He's, he's committed to that. Oh, absolutely, he's committed to it, and he's going to win that seat very comfortably, despite what John Tamaki says. Paul Eagles not going to try no, anything. Well, he's a good man, Paul. Disappointed he didn't get the mayoralty. Mm. But uh, um, uh, no, I, I don't believe so. But I'm, I be, I've spoke with Tamati Coffee because people mm. ask me about the Tamati, and I had a one-on-one. Mm. -on -one and uh, Tamati's, you know, he's showed a bit of class in terms of the way he's leaving, and he'll be mm. going on to other things. Might throw his hand into broadcasting. You know, he might even, you never know. Watch out, Jack. <laughs> he's, a, he's an ex-TVNZ man. But look, as far well, I'll as I'll be on Celebrity Treasure, he'll Island be on Celebrity Treasure Island. Possibly, yeah, but yeah. you know, like there's a lot. We've got a lot of talent in mm. there. We've got Mana Wahine in there, and we have to look at. We have to. We have to look. I that's why I take a fair amount of responsibility in terms of the management of it, yeah. and that's why I was looking at myself when Mika left. Who, who's going to stand in Nicaragua, Rafati? There's no shortage of people who've uh, got in touch with me uh, over the last few days. Um, you know, it's a, it's an absolute Labour seat. I expect mm. us to win that seat there. Uh, I uh, well, now that uh, that uh, our Fanonga has gone gone the other way, um, but um, you know, it'll be a struggle because she's been a, a strong. MP, she stood up for that area. Mm. She's really worked well through the cyclone. So it's not going to be easy, but mm. uh, there's no shortage of uh, there's no shortage of interest in the seat. Tēnā koe. Thank you very much Kia for your Jack. time. We really appreciate it. Uh, Labour Māori Caucus co-chair Willie Jackson. If you want to contact the Q and A team, please call it or my. These are our main platforms. You can email us. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. Up next, an exclusive interview with Taiwan's foreign minister as he calls on New Zealand to push back against China in the Pacific. And then, with the health system under massive pressure, we ask the health minister what's going to happen during the winter spike. Hoki maiti, we welcome back. Taiwan's foreign minister has urged New Zealand to do more, to push back against Chinese influence in the Pacific. Tensions between Taiwan and China have intensified in recent months, and China's close relationship with Russia has contributed to concerns that Taiwan could be subjected to a military attack or invasion. I spoke with Foreign Affairs Minister Joseph Wu and began by asking if an attack by China is a realistic threat. Uh, it is possible. Uh, but the most important thing for Taiwan is to prevent that from happening. Uh, we all know very well 
War means destruction and atrocity. Look at the case of Ukraine. And that is something that we don't want here in Taiwan. And therefore, what we have been doing is to prepare ourselves militarily so that we can deter the Chinese from having the illusion that they can take Taiwan over very quickly. And at the same time, we are also working together with other like-minded partners, such as the United States and others, uh, so that China understand that we have friends out there. And we are also trying to work with other like-minded partners economically or politically so that Taiwan people here uh, don't feel that we are dangling out there, meeting China alone. And uh, with all this effort, I think Taiwan people will have the determination to prevent war from happening. And we have the determination to defend ourselves if war, unfortunately, has to happen. How has the invasion of Ukraine changed Taiwan's security status? Uh, this is a very good question. Uh, I think the international community has been looking at the war in Ukraine. Taiwan is no exception. And we are paying uh, lots of attention to war in Ukraine. And we are studying how Ukraine uh, has been able to withstand the onslaught of one of the largest military in the world. And I think one of the most critical issue is determination. And we are learning from it. And trust me, the Taiwanese people, after watching what happened in Ukraine, knows that uh, determination is very important and Taiwanese people are more determined to defend Taiwan. Yeah. The second is strategy. And we understand that asymmetric strategy uh, is very effective in dealing with a traditional military. And Taiwan has also been uh, conducting military reforms so that we can adapt to the uh, asymmetric strategy. And at the same time, we are also extending the military service, the conscripts, uh, to one year. And uh, we are also procuring arms for our necessary defense. At the same time, we are also engaging with other like-minded like partners for the training of our soldiers. So all these are the preparation after learning what happened in Ukraine. And the third factor, very important, especially for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, is that we need international support. I think one of the critical reasons why Ukraine is continuing uh, fighting Russians is because of the international support. Even countries like Taiwan, as far as as far away as Taiwan, we are providing humanitarian assistance to mm -hmm. the Ukrainians. And therefore, international support is critical. And we are trying to get more international support as much as possible. Minister, I want to turn our attention to the Pacific. China has been expanding its influence in the Pacific region. It signed the recent security deal with the Solomon Islands. It has been working more closely with Kiribati. Why shouldn't Pacific nations develop stronger relationships with China? Uh, I think one thing that we need to pay attention to is China is an authoritarian country. China does not share the fundamental values uh, of freedom, democracy, protection of human rights, rule of law, and uh, uh, rules-based international order with other countries like Taiwan, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and et cetera. And when China expands its ties in the Pacific, it's also bringing the authoritarian beliefs and uh, policies to those countries. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, the Chinese relations with the Solomon Islands right now, and even with Kiribati, is bringing the authoritarian influence to its mass media, even its education. And I think China is expanding its influence at the cost of democracy. And this is something that we need to watch out for. And you mentioned the Solomon Islands. 
Solomon Islands is very far away from China, but at the same time, it's very close to Australia and New Zealand. And China would sign a security agreement with the Solomon Islands last April. That shows the Chinese ambition. And this is something that we need to watch out for. When China was thinking about signing more agreements with other Pacific countries, that means China wants to expand further. And when China expands further, that will be at our cost. And I think we have been paying attention to China's military activities within the first island chain, like East China Sea, Taiwan Strait, and South China Sea. But the Chinese military activities or political and diplomatic activities in the wide Pacific has been increasing tremendously as well. And I think it's going to be very near to Australia and New Zealand. And this is something that uh, maybe uh, we can feel that New Zealand is not going to be excluded from China's outward expansion. And the Chinese expansionism is not limited to the Pacific. It's also all over uh, Indian Ocean and even in Africa. And therefore, mm. when authoritarianism continues to expand, all democracies need to think about the cost of it and our shared values. And therefore, I would urge all countries, all democracies need to work together to prevent authoritarianism from expanding further. Would Taiwan like to see New Zealand do more to reduce China's impact in the Pacific? Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, in fact, uh, we have some discussions with New Zealand uh, on different levels uh, to see how we can work together to prevent authoritarianism from expanding further. And those kinds of discussions have been uh, very fruitful uh, for us to find common ways to deal with the threat coming from China. I believe there's a lot of scholars in New Zealand who are specialized in this area, and they have lots of discussions with Taiwanese scholars or officials mm. in this regard. And we hope we can continue the discussions in this regard. I should note, of course, that th there will be many people watching this who strongly disagree with your description of China as an authoritarian state. And China is, of course, New Zealand's largest trading partner. Should that change? It is our largest trading partner as well. Uh, we are making sure that the trade relations with China uh, is not going to impact upon our overall national security. Mm. Uh, what China is very good at is to grab uh, the trade relations and to make it a weapon. And we understand that uh, Australia has been victimized because of that. And we also understand that some countries in Europe, such as Lithuania, has been victimized because of that. And as a result, I think they're trying to adjust their trade with the rest of the world mm. in order to reduce the possibility of uh, uh, their countries being victimized by China's using trade as a weapon. And I think New Zealand's trade with China, this is uh, perfectly harmless, but uh, we need to be aware But China someday might use this as a weapon against mm. uh, New Zealand uh, to change your national course. And that is mm. something that we need to watch out uh, sometime down the road. So there are essentially two prongs to this. There is the trade relationship that New Zealand has with China that you think needs some augmentation in the future. And there is the Pacific. And I want to ask just explicitly, what should New Zealand be doing to reduce Chinese influence in the Pacific? Uh, I hope New Zealand can make more investment uh, in the Pacific countries. Uh, some of those uh, small countries, they do need assistance. And therefore, if New Zealand and Australia and the United States and Taiwan as well, uh, when we are making more investment, 
uh, putting more resources in these countries uh, to reduce their dependence on China. I think this will provide a good opportunity for them to reduce their independence on China. At the same time, they will develop closer ties with fellow mm. democracies. And I think the United States and Australia have been doing that. They have been increasing their uh, investment uh, in the Pacific rapidly. And I certainly hope that uh, New Zealand can also consider that approach. Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen recently visited the United States and met with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And of course, last year, uh, the former Speaker Nancy Pelosi became the most senior American politician to visit Taiwan in decades. The former New Zealand Prime Minister, John Key, said on this show that Nancy Pelosi's visit was reckless. What responsibility does Taiwan take for the worsening relationship with China? Well, uh, New Zealand is a free country. Uh, it's still a democracy, and therefore all kinds of opinions can be aired. Uh, here in Taiwan, we also see different kinds of opinions on how Taiwan should make friends. Uh, but if you look at the situation here in Taiwan, Taiwan has been isolated by China, and China is trying to keep friends away from Taiwan. China is trying to dictate how Taiwan can make friends and how Taiwan's friends can uh, work together with Taiwan. But I think Taiwan as a democracy, we should not be dictated by China in that regard. Mm. And therefore, we welcome supporters from all over the world to come and visit Taiwan. And there are many supporters of Taiwan all over the world who want to come and visit Taiwan, and they are more than welcome. And I think this is the way it is. Uh, so uh, for China to say that uh, these certain figures cannot visit Taiwan or their visit to Taiwan is reckless, is putting uh, the resource as the reason. I think the reason is China's expansion and China's uh, ambition uh, mm. to take over Taiwan. China's ambition to cut Taiwan from the rest of the world. China wants to, um, China may have uh, an, an ambition to attack Taiwan uh, at some point, but they don't want international support to come to Taiwan. So that is a problem. The problem is China. The problem is not Taiwan or international friends supporting Taiwan. The World Health Assembly is coming up in a few weeks. I know that Taiwan uh, is excluded from or has limited status on numerous international organisations. What more should New Zealand be doing to give Taiwan full participation status on those organizations? Uh, this is an outstanding question for Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan has been excluded from most of the um, uh, important international organizations ranging from the UN, WHO, ICAO, uh, UNFCCC, Interpol, and et cetera. Uh, but those kinds of uh, exclusion actions uh, conducted by China, uh, it's not fair to the Taiwanese people. After all, we have 23 million uh, people here in Taiwan that deserves the care of the WHO. And at the same time, Taiwan is also able to provide support to the rest of the international community through WHO. And therefore, excluding Taiwan is not good. Uh, and therefore, we need like-minded partners such as New Zealand to support Taiwan's participation. And New Zealand has been uh, supporting Taiwan's participation in the WHO uh, for quite some time. And we hope New Zealand can continue to support Taiwan's participation in the WHO. In March, 22 New Zealand members of parliament formed a parliamentary friendship group for Taiwan. It is a cross-party group, meaning it has support from different parts of the political spectrum. From your perspective, what is the significance of that? Uh, this is very important. Uh, as I said to you uh, just a second ago, we need friends 
And for any friends who want to uh, show their support to Taiwan or even come to Taiwan to show their support, they are highly welcomed. And this is the first time there was an all-party parliamentary group on Taiwan that was formed in New Zealand. That shows that we have a lot of friends in politics in, in New Zealand. And uh, we appreciate their effort uh, in showing their support for Taiwan at the same time. Uh, we would also like to welcome them to visit Taiwan at some point. I think there's a lot of commonalities uh, in between Taiwan and New Zealand. We are both uh, island countries. Uh, we both have lots of uh, indigenous people, and we share the same values of freedom, democracy, and protection of human rights, rule of law, uh, things like this. And therefore, we need to find more ways uh, to cooperate with each other. And for this all-party parliamentary group on Taiwan to be formed, I think it would increase the opportunity for Taiwan and New Zealand to exchange with each other, to find common ways of cooperating with each other. That is Taiwan's Foreign Minister, Joseph Wu. After the break, Te Order Health New Zealand has launched its winter strategy, but will it be enough to help an exhausted workforce? Kia ora koutou, welcome back. New Zealand's health system is under massive stress. Heading into winter, the workforce is depleted and exhausted and facing big pressure from other countries trying to lure our people overseas. On Thursday, Health Minister Aisha Verrill launched the Winter Preparedness Plan, a series of initiatives like telehealth and more accessible after-hours services designed to relieve some of the pressure over winter. Indeed, there's a lot of pressure on the health system. Uh, the numbers of presentations to emergency departments have, haven't gone up significantly since pre-COVID, but we know the complexity of patients have, and we're finding that many of our hospitals have a problem we call bed block, where essentially it's hard to move people up from the emergency department into ward beds, and that causes congestion, and that means people have to wait, which we're uh, obviously not comfortable with. You've been asked about the term crisis. Um, many times. I know Te Water has a shortfall of doctors that's about 600. I think the estimates for the nurses' shortfall is about 4,000 at the moment. What is the difference between what we're experiencing now and something that will qualify as a crisis? Well, I would have said COVID pandemic was a crisis and we managed that using emergency measures and now Unfortunately, we're facing a lot of pressures that have been long time coming, some pre-COVID, now during that. Look, I meet with people in the health sector really frequently. I see the pressure that they are under. I know some of their working conditions uh, aren't optimal, that that makes uh, problems for burnout with them. But we have to have a structured way of getting out of that situation. And as a leader, that's what I try to present. Is it a crisis? No, I don't believe it is, but it is a really important situation that we need to take deliberate steps to address, and we need to make sure that we continue, continue pointing to the positive future we have ahead of us if we make progress on our winter plan, as was announced uh, the other day, and continue to address those worse, uh, workforce gaps, which we know are really crucial. In the time since Te Whata Order was launched, what is the single biggest improvement on the front line of our health sector? Yeah, I think the winter plan we outlined yesterday is a really good example of the practical ways in which the health reforms will make things better for people. What we've done through that winter plan is try to manage this pressure on acute demand in a comprehensive way, not just thinking about the hospitals like the DHBs used to, but look across the entire health system, move resource around the country, find things that were working in one area and disseminate them more widely, and most importantly, bring care closer 
closer to home. A lot of the things in the winter plan do exactly that. For example, letting pharmacists uh, use their skills to treat minor ailments, uh, letting GPs use their tremendous amount of experience to order radiology without sending someone in to the hospital. In a lot of ways, we're delivering on the promise of that reform through that winter plan. Is the feedback that you were getting from people on the front line that they are seeing the benefits yet? No. But we, and that's why we need to keep going. But I think we need to be honest that a big change like this, it'll take another term of government to have all the impact we want. But we have those green shoots of change. As I've said, the winter plan is one example. We're starting to see the impact of having Te Akafai Ora, the Māori Health Authority at the table, having a really constructive role to play. So I think, I think there is, uh, we're at the beginning of something that'll take a long if time. If you're not hearing about improvements, what are you hearing? I said that the winter plan contains multiple practical improvements that will make a difference to, to um, and, and they are enabled by the health reforms. I hear a lot of tiredness from people in the health system. I also hear a lot of positivity, a lot of eagerness to get on with uh, the reforms and take the opportunities for more mm. joined up thinking. I think in my office I've met with um, multiple uh, specialist groups in the la uh, spe specialist and sector groups in the last uh, couple of months. All of them are looking forward to being able to contribute their skills and expertise to making the system better. We'll have announcements about how we're working with them to do that in the coming months. I want to do a quick checklist compared to this time last year. So uh -huh. tell me if these areas are better or worse than this time last year going into winter 2022. Emergency department pressures. Uh, the wait times are probably longer in emergency departments. The presentations are about the same. Surgical waiting lists. Uh, they have not improved as we'd wanted to. So worse? Uh, the over 12 months, I think, has gone up a little. The primary health care. Primary health care, uh, it's hard to measure performance in primary health care, uh, but uh, pretty consistently we've seen uh, barriers to access to primary health care that I want to make sure we improve. So, so worse? Is it fair to say worse than um, this time last year, the pressures facing staff I, on the no. primary health care? Um, I'm aware they're under pressure. I'm not sure if they're worse. Remember, this time last year we were facing our first winter with Omicron. At the heart of your question is that comparison around this time last year versus now. Yeah. Uh, it was our first year with Omicron transmitting in the community. There was a lot of concern going into, into winter. Just remember, the key thing is, uh, despite all of that concern, when we came out of those COVID restrictions in the, uh, following the Omicron outbreak, we had the lowest excess mortality of any country that had had stringent COVID measures like us. So yep, I get it, people are under pressure, the systems aren't as efficient and working as productively as we want, but we're still delivering good care. We need to have our problems in context right. so that we can have a good debate about them. Workforce shortages, better or worse than this time last year? Uh, about the same. Let's look at those a bit more closely. So between August and March, roughly 5,000 nurses in New Zealand registered to work in Australia. Now, to be clear, that does not mean 5,000 New Zealand nurses moved to Australia. Do we know how many New Zealand nurses have moved? No, we don't. We know that the domestic workforce uh, for nurses, the number of people with APCs and the number of employed by Te Whatuora has increased across this term of government. Uh, and but I acknowledge we have a mobile workforce in um, nurses and other healthcare workforce, uh, other healthcare workers. 
we need to keep the work up that the government is doing to improve their paying conditions so that New Zealand is an attractive destination for them to come into health work and also to stay and retain. But that is a huge number, obviously. Between August and March, 5,000 nurses yeah. registering to, to work in Australia. Why don't we know how many have actually moved? Because uh, we do not um, track nurses, we do not ask what qualifications you have when you, when you leave the country, it's a free country, people can come and go. However, I do want to see the data of our own work on our own workforce improved and that will take time to develop the computer systems that will, that will track our workers within Te Whatu uh, Direct comparisons are hard. You've pointed out that baseline salaries for some nurses between New Zealand and Australia are comparable. So why have so many nurses registered to work across the ditch? Uh, so it's not necessarily the case that workers, um, those workers have worked in New Zealand for a long time. They may be getting um, uh, nursing council registration in New Zealand and then going on to Australia, uh, using New Zealand as a way to go on to Australia. Uh, there are obviously also reasons people might want to move to Australia for, for family reasons. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's a mix of those factors. Our job as the government is to make sure that New Zealand is an attractive place to work. That means making sure that we have good paying conditions, we're making excellent progress with that, with the interim pay equity settlements, and we want to keep that momentum up. Some short-term contracts for nurses in Australia are paying up to $8,000 a week in remote rural areas, $3,000 a week in, in urban areas. So give us the pitch, why would a nurse who can earn thousands of dollars a week in Australia choose to stay in New Zealand? So many... Uh, New Zealanders come into healthcare wanting to look after their whānau and community and that's the opportunity uh, about working in the New Zealand healthcare system. I walk down the street in Wellington and you know you don't make a you don't wave but I see the people walking down the street who I cared for in Wellington Hospital as a doctor here. It is an immensely fulfilling thing to work in our health system. Yep there are things to improve and we're focused on those but that's that's the pitch looking after people people love to do it and we need to make sure that we uh, uh, recognise that contribution healthcare workers make appropriately. In December you moved nurses onto the immigration green list which gives them a fast track to residency. How many nurses have been granted residency since those changes were made? Mm, I can tell you that through the critical worker that preceded that change, we've had over a thousand, and through following following the um, uh, um, following the immigration rebalance, we've had over a thousand arrivals through that stream as well. Right. Uh, do we know how many have actually been granted residency since December? Yeah, I'm afraid I don't have no. that figure. I mean, they had previously faced a longer route to residency, is the point, right? And and in the time between first introducing the immigration reset and introducing the concept of a green list and actually adding nurses to the green list, lots of other comparable countries had pretty aggressive recruiting campaigns bringing nurses to their respective countries. With the benefit of hindsight, did we wait too long to add nurses to the Green List? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's made a, um, a substantial difference to where we are today. To be honest, I think the challenge that we face with immigration is that post-pandemic, we have an incredibly con uh, competitive environment out there for international recruitment. I think a thing we find easy to forget in New Zealand is that in the, between uh, February 2020 in May 2021, over 100,000 healthcare workers died. That's, according to the WHO, that's the market we're in. Globally. Globally. So, yep, we need to be putting our best foot out there in terms of pay, uh, the, the immigration settings, and I believe we are now. 
um, but when we're not going to get out of this situation with immigration we need to work more on the domestic pipeline. Uh, yeah, the, let's talk about the domestic mm. pipeline. So you've said time again um, the key to solving this issue is actually having more nurses trained in New Zealand and yeah. staying in New Zealand. So Nationals introduced a policy of paying $4,500 every year off nurses and midwives student loans if they continue to work in New Zealand. In principle do you support that bonding idea? Well, we already have a voluntary bonding scheme. Not on this so scale, though, right? That's, that's correct. So, in principle, I'm not opposed to some, some level of bonding. Um, I think the, the, the big picture here is that uh, healthcare workers take a long time to train. You have to invest and then you, you wait to see the benefits. So, for governments, there's always been this risk of a short term focus. They've always put off the investment in, uh, um, in healthcare workers because there are more pressing priorities. I want to get us away from that system. There are things we're already doing in the um, growing our own workforce. There's been really good initiatives with midwives to make sure that we're supporting midwife um, Māori and Pacific trainees in their final year of right. training. And that's really improved the retention of midwifery uh, graduates going through their programme. Um, sometimes the costs of study are a major barrier to people in the final part of training because it takes it costs money to keep yeah. gas in your car so that you can go attend a woman giving, uh, giving birth as a midwifery student. I think uh, given we know there are dropouts of people who want to be midwives, want to be nurses in the late stage of training, that seems to me to be a more logical place to invest. Right, so, so what might that look like, that investment? Yeah, so that's what we're working on at the moment. We know that there's a variety of ways of doing it. One is that nurses have asked us to consider options for earning while you learn. So they may um, come to wards when outside of their study hours to be healthcare assistants, assisting with the cares of patients, not the, not the nursing, but getting exposure to that clinical environment and learning uh, what it's like to be on the ward in the course of Why don't of we that. just pay people to study? We do, and the fact that uh, the Labor government gives a fee-freeze policy in the first year of study. Not quite the same. I mean, we have a fees-free policy, but why don't we literally pay people to study? Yeah, and you know what? I benefited from something like that as a medical student, the uh, grant for trainee interns. There are some programmes like that. We have scholarships for Māori and Pacific nurses as well. Would you support extending those? That's, um, I'm looking for opportunities to, to raise that investment, yes. I think looking after students is a um, way that we can have a better impact on growing our, our domestic workforce. Obviously some of these things fall outside my portfolio. Do we need a new medical school? Well I worked in a medical school here in Wellington, I worked in the Wellington branch of the University of Otago and I can tell you that so many of our discussions uh, within the university was about the financial challenges we face as being a satellite medical school. There are, um, it's incredibly expensive to, to run medical schools, so I do wonder um, about whether a new medical school fixes the problem we have, which is lack of graduates. Right, so how else might we fix that problem? Well, we might raise the number of um, uh, trainees in, other med in the existing medical schools. Those are the options, basically. Can, can we do that? How quickly? Uh, well, those are investment decisions and would be dependent on there being new funding, um, uh, funding available for it. Is that something you're pitching for or pursuing? <sighs> yeah, so as you know, I can't speak about funding decisions that haven't been, been taken. But I, I think I'd just make the point that we have done a lot on the medical workforce already, including a real focus on general practice, because that is an area where we've seen the proportion of doctors 
going into general practice training has, has fallen mm. you know, progressively over decades. And that's a real problem because it orientates our health system away from care in the community mm. and towards hospital, hospital and specialist care. And overall, I want our health system to uh, move in a different direction. Minister Little brought in a number of initiatives to support GP training on that front, including raising the pays of trainees. And I think um, they will take time to be effective, but they're very important policies. A personal question, but given you are the health minister, do you have private health insurance? No. It's more than a year since experts first raised the idea of test-to-release programs for COVID-19. I think in August of last year, you talked about it publicly, a study commissioned last year showed that it would be an effective tool. Why haven't we introduced it yet? Yeah, the, um, that, that's right. That was one study, but there's, each time we get advice for the purposes of the public health risk assessment, uh, we see we have to balance the increasing risk of transmission mm -hmm. with the... Um, uh, with the uh, costs of people staying, uh, staying home, basically. And that didn't, we didn't get um, evidence in support of taking the decision last time we reviewed it. We have asked for further advice on that, and that advice is, is being developed with additional modelling being done. I wanted to ask you about a pharmac decision in December. Um, I know that was shortly before you took over as health minister, but in December, Pharmac announced it would be funding the life-extending drug Trikafta for people who have cystic fibrosis. Pharmac appeared to deliberately mislead some media in order to coordinate the announcement in a made-for-TV moment. The Pharmac boss was there hugging cystic fibrosis patients. Was that an appropriate rollout? Yeah, so... Um it's fantastic that Pharmac is funding Trikafta and make a big difference in the lives of people with cystic fibrosis. So what, what we're discussing here is the, um, appro the media management yep. of, an, of yep. an announcement. And look, I can understand why that might, um, why that's uncomfortable, because it does, um, uh, it, it does invite uh, a lot of things that, pro that weren't part of the Pharmac's consideration when they evaluated whether or not the drug should be funded. I do want to say, though, I don't envy Pharmac's job. It's appropriately at arm's length from government because politicians shouldn't be um, interfering in those decisions, but it's a really tough job. For a long time now, we've had what, to me, as an observer um, of health system politics, looks like uh, campaigns for various drugs to be uh, funded by um, appropriately concerned citizens in New Zealand, but also, you know, with um, uh, pharmaceutical companies can have influence in that way as well. We don't see what that influence um, is in terms of how those campaigns are run. So I think Pharmac's in a really tough position there. And I think in terms of, um, uh, they, they do need to improve how they communicate their decisions to New Zealand. Uh, but I think that it's not necessary to, to use those sorts of tactics. Right. Do you have confidence in Pharmac CEO? Yeah, absolutely. I, my relationship is with the boards and I have confidence that with appoints the board. That appoints the CEO. Yeah. yeah. Uh, finally then, I started with that quick checklist. Um, emergency department pressures, surgical waiting list, primary healthcare, workforce shortages. For this winter compared to last year, 12 months from now, if we haven't improved on where we were last year for most of those measures, Will we be in a better place in 12 months? Yeah, we will, because we can still do better with what we've, what we've got. And however, I also think we'll make progress on those measures.
Health Minister Aisha Viral. Stay with us, Q&A is back after the break. Hawkey Mai, just before we go, just so you know, Willie Jackson's going to be up on Marae this morning at 10.30. He's decided to stay in the building for us this morning so we can continue that kōrero. For now, though, kō mutu. That is Q&A for this week from the Q&A team. Thank you for watching. Nā mihiki a koutou i ngā karere. Thanks for your feedback. Hey te wiki. We will see you next Sunday at 9am. Q&A is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.